Hello and welcome to the Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Great to have you company this Thursday morning. I'm Brendan Telfer. This week on the program, peak industry bodies in the aged care sector reveal their Council of Twelve, which is tasked to provide leadership standards and scrutiny. The work of the Council is essentially to go through those recommendations, put them in place, uh, and I think we, if we can do that, uh, the industry will be in a far better place than it, than it is now for everyone. You know, you've got to design systems based on the vulnerable, not the sophisticated. Yes, Kevin McCoy, Deputy Head of Aged Care Workforce Council, our special guest on the Age Stage this week. We go local and visit the Bayes Hospital, which is hosting a free community forum presented by the Commissioner for Senior Victorians, Jared Mansour. It's all happening on September the 5th down here on the Mornington Peninsula. Warren Haynes drops by from Aftercare Australasia and Cheryl Brodie has a special report on the intestinal system, microbes, bacteria and our health. We are a super organism that lives with bacteria. We were living in a symbiotic relationship with these bacteria that actually help us stay alive. Yes, all that on the Age Stage this week right here on RPPFM. Thanks for your company. Well, first up this week, a big step taken by a number of peak aged care bodies determined to provide strategic leadership and oversight in the aged care workforce industry. Aged care, of course, is a growth industry. The Productivity Commission predicting that 3.5 million Australians will be accessing aged care services every year by 2050. As a consequence, the Australian government tasked the aged care industry to come up with its own recommendations with the objective to provide benefits for consumers and its workforce. Well, after substantial study, an aged care workforce council was formed and has kicked off, we are told, with a sense of purpose and urgency. Deputy Chair of that council is Kevin McCoy, who is CEO, Independent and Assistant Living at Australian Unity. Thanks, Brendan. Pleasure to be here. Well, the initiative, of course, has come from the government. Uh, you're happy with the way things have gone so far? Uh, yes, I think it's a tremendous piece of work. Definitely got the full support of most of the stakeholders um, in, in our sector. And, you know, we're immensely proud to be, to be part of it and to take a leadership role in it. The simple way to explain it is just Google a matter of care. Um, and then there's a, a very good document that, that gives a good summary of what it's all about. But in your intro, you really hit on the biggest challenge, which is workforce. It's, uh, you know, nursing care work, a tough physical and emotional job. But, and it can, of course, be incredibly fulfilling. But our biggest challenge is, is maintaining, getting and maintaining a, a workforce. Um, so solving, solving our workforce challenge will require multiple approaches uh, and solutions. So that the lead recommendation from a matter of care is really about the co-creation of a social change campaign to reframe caring and promote the aged care workforce. And the reality we have to face is that our industry and, and sector doesn't really have a great brand. And so firstly, we've got to change negative attitudes to both ageing and, and aged care because, you know, if we can't sort of shift community, community attitudes um, and how the industry presents itself, it's going to be quite challenging to attract people to come in and to, to actually join what is a, a wonderful industry. 
Can I be a little bit critical or a little bit cynical and suggest that this is sure. the government absolving itself of responsibility and putting the pressure back on you guys to come up with what one of your peers has described, the tidal wave of uh, the, the, the problem in terms of aged care going forward? Yeah. I often hear that certain tidal wave and challenge. I, you know, I think we, we've got to move on from expecting the government to act, to do everything. Um, and I'm pretty comfortable with that. I think where we are with this industry is, is the sector itself needs to step up and, and show, show leadership and in many ways, you know, help the Department of Health. You know, they can't, they can provide funding and they can provide standards and things like that, but they're not there day to day. They're not the ones actually dealing with, you know, the wonderful customer base that we have. We're the ones that are there every day, every night. We're the ones that've got to work through those challenges. But your your particular company, um, Kevin, um, Australian Unity, of course, has impeccably high standards. But there are other members of your cohort who have had the sort of blowtorch applied to them in terms of the Royal Commission. Um, is it um, a safe prospect that the industry itself is is monitoring and uh, basically laying out its own policies? One of the findings in the in a matter of care is just that in that the, the, the industry itself lacks the united code of con- conduct, so to speak, uh, against which to judge itself, and that is one of the recommendations from from the work is to implement something like that, and then to self manage that as an industry and start to call out where we feel some of our, our members, so to speak, or operators within the industry aren't, aren't meeting the standards that we set. So basically, once you set the standards, then you can start um, rolling them out and applying them across the entire industry. Yeah, that's right. Pieces, foundation pieces that, that we need to get um, in place, which are all articulated in, in the document, um, a matter of care. The government's responsibility will come back to funding. I mean, one of the key findings is that if you were to take the, the lowest paid role within the aged care sector and compare that to other industries, on average it's about 15% below other industries. So, and that's about a $3.5 billion gap. So that's sort of a, something we need to work with. The other areas we've got to take responsibility for, which is, so I mentioned the brand of the industry, that's pretty crucial, providing clear career paths, a code of conduct and holding ourselves to it. You know, these are all things that the government can't do. Well, it sounds uh, very, very interesting. It also sounds that you have a great deal of enthusiasm for it, Kevin. Also notice that um, you're basically identifying the needs of remote communities as well in this equation. Absolutely. You know, that requires uh, a complete, completely different uh, thinking, and, and we're participating in that ourselves. Um, that's strategic action number number twelve. Ken Markwell, who's, who who runs Aboriginal Home Care and Indigenous Services for us, he has a great saying, which is, you know, if you live out in community, it's not remote. Canberra's remote. When you live out in community, that's where you live. And you know, that's the sort of thinking we've got to change. That they're not remotely out there; they're where they live. And then we've got to, you know, work with that. That's a nice nuance. Uh, I notice also that there appears to be going forward collaboration with the Department of Health, so I guess this is research, growth, and setting future pathways and strategies. Look, that's, collaboration is the absolute key for this. We, we're at a point where everyone, every stakeholder needs to, to collaborate. Um, we've got to work with the Department of Health, and, and we've got to help the Department of Health. Uh, just sitting back and 
expecting the Department of Health to do everything is, is not going to work. We know that. Um, so we've got to work with them and help them. But also, if you look up at the, at the, the makeup of the Workforce Council, it's not just operators in the industry. We have union representation. We have consumer group rep- representation. So we've tried to get a group of stakeholders who are incredibly passionate about uh, the industry but are connected to the various parts that either directly through consumers, through the workforce, um, through the Department of Health uh, and so on. Kevin, where to now then? What is next? The council's been formed. You've been able to pull in some pretty remarkable people onto this council. What are your objectives and uh, what's the short to midterm plan? philosophy. Kevin McCoy, Deputy Chair of the Workforce Council and CEO Independent and Assistant Living at Australian Unity. Thank you very much indeed for your time today, Kevin. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we will be keeping across the Age Care Council in upcoming weeks right here on RPPFM and the Age Stage. You are tuned up to RPPFM. This is the Age Stage this Thursday morning. When we come back, we're on Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. Hi, this is Sigurd Thornton speaking. I love listening to the radio. And when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPPFM. This is The Age Stage on RPPFM. Great to have your company. It is Thursday morning, of course. And Aftercare Australasia is here. Warren Haynes has dropped by to have his regular visit with us. Warren, welcome. G'day, Brandon. I was in Samoa recently. And while I was over there, I learnt a lot about families and older members of their community. I found out that in Samoan culture, if you look after your elderly parents or grandparents, you are revered in the local community. In fact, if there is a major village event, you'll be invited to the chiefly table as a sign and acknowledgement of the work that you are doing with these elderly people in your society. Extraordinary. 
Very big contrast often to uh, what happens in Australia, I have to say, Brandon. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and so if, if, if the village goes out on a visit or they fly off to Auckland, New Zealand or something like that, and the chiefs happen to have seats at the front end of the aircraft, you as the carer will be one of the entourage that will be invited to join them at the, in the big seats at the front. Mm, sounds fantastic. It is incredible. Mm. Mm. And it got me to thinking... So, of course, you uh, provide a wonderful service, Aftercare Australasia, in terms of keeping people upright and functioning in their own homes for as long as possible. But there comes a time, surely, when we have to confront the reality of maybe needing some extra help, some extra care, or making a decision about putting somebody away into a home. How do you cope with that process and... What sort of information should I be beefing up on to make sure that I can make the best decisions? Or is it all emotional? Yeah, look, it's, it, it really does vary from, from person to person and circumstance to circumstance, Brendan. But the thing that I would uh, say to people, strongly encourage them, is to look at this as being a series of small adjustments. I think where people can find this process very confronting is if they feel as though perhaps they've just kind of gone, uh, you know, oh, well, that's all too in the too hard basket. It's not going to happen to me. I'm just going to ignore it and I'm going to ignore any any evidence that suggests that I'm not just, uh, you know, performing, uh, you know, at my usual standard. But you, can't, but you can't do that, though, can you? Because really the person, if, if, if we've got the onside of Alzheimer's and some dementia, the personality of this loved one that you've cared for for so long is changing. And the reaction that you're going to get in certain circumstances is totally different to what you would have expected given the old personality. Yeah, and look, that's why I'm saying, that's why I'm suggesting that, that in fact the most effective approach is rather than the process becomes one of waiting until a crisis occurs. Um, and that's often, unfortunately, what happens with people, not, not just with dementia, but with a whole range of other conditions where um, people are just sort of, you know, going, oh, no, I'm coping, I'm coping, everything's okay, I'm coping, I'm coping, until all of a sudden they're not coping and the whole arrangement falls apart. Someone gets a serious injury. Um, in the case of someone with dementia, they may, uh, you know, all of a sudden nearly burn the house down when they're boiling the kettle. Um, that's a very, very, very common circumstance where people have house fires because they, they just simply forget that they've got the kettle on. Um, and, you know, things that can be quite catastrophic, having catastrophic falls is another very, very common um, scenario and what I mean by a catastrophic fall is where um, the person injures themselves so significantly that the prospects of them making a full or good recovery are very low and when they do make a recovery the house is completely unsuitable for them to move back into and I'll, I'll give you an example of this quite a few years ago but we had uh, a, a family a couple uh, who were living in in a, a relatively old-fashioned but very cherished household of theirs that was a, a multi-level household. So it was, you know, beyond the old... You know, remember when split-level homes mm -hmm. were all the rage? Well, this was a split-level, a, a split-level, split-level home that was up on a fairly steep uh, position and they'd lived there a long time and obviously they, they loved their home. But they had this concept that, well, all the services are still going to come to us and we're still going to be able to remain here when, in fact... The, the bathroom was on one level and the bedroom was on another level and the kitchen was on another level and they got to the point where physically they couldn't um, manage those steps anymore 
And then they were going, well, you know, we'll just have to put ramps in. And I remember at the time we got quotes on on uh, we assisted them to get quotes on on uh, making those necessary alterations. And it was almost more than worth it, what the house was worth. You know, it was a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Uh, and in some instances, the builders said you literally can't make that adjustment because because there are very tight regulations, for example, around the gradients that they're allowed to build ramps to now. You can't just make a ramp to suit. It has to meet a, um, a very specific fall. fall on it, which means it might go for five times longer than you think it needs to go. So, so what I would suggest is that you start thinking ahead. So for that couple, just using that as an example... When, when when they were perhaps in their 60s or 70s and they were thinking, we very much want to stay living in the community for the rest of our lives, you know, the thought of going into a nursing home is horrible, um, they probably needed to have a look around on the, on the real estate market at that time and find somewhere that was going to be much more suitable for their long-term needs. And it might have involved some compromise, but... I think they would have been happier in the long run. But this is where they should perhaps also be having a, a conversation with you and your staff as well at Aftercare Australasia because you can probably advise them in terms of some very practical consideration about what they should be doing to secure their future life and prospects and keeping them in that house for as long as possible. Yeah, look, certainly, as I said, there is a series of small adjustments. I mean, one of the things that I often talk to people about now when I'm going out to do an initial, you know, introduction and just talk about how home care packages work, and it might be for someone who's still quite able and, and uh, you know, getting around uh, independently, you know, on their own two legs, uh, getting around the place quite effectively. But I'll talk to them about how at some stage down the track I can see that their front doorstep would lend itself quite well to having a modification and and potentially, oh, yes, you've got a bit of room in your bathroom, so if you want to stay at home for as long as possible, you need to be thinking about these things now. And what it means is that hopefully when that time comes, they're a little bit more comfortable and open to the idea. I also talk to them about equipment. A surprising number of people... When I, what I mean by equipment is hoists and hospital beds, for instance. A surprising number of people don't see those things as ever being necessary in their home, but they don't want to go into a nursing home. So Aftercare Australasia must get into some very sensitive discussions from time to time, particularly perhaps a younger generation caring for mum or dad. Mum or dad may be now widowed or divorced or something, gets into difficulty as far as their deterioration, mental deterioration is concerned. Can you advise? Do you get involved? Do you go to that level of um, involvement? Well, at times, at times. I mean, obviously, these are primarily family matters. I think I think sometimes the role that we can play is a, as a source of, uh, if you like, unbiased information. And certainly we are always very upfront about... Uh, making it clear to people that we don't run nursing homes. We don't run. We have no vested interest in trying to um, encourage somebody to move unnecessarily into a nursing home. Whereas I'd have to say there can be times when, based on some feedback I get, that other organisations that have a range of these services perhaps are... Uh, you know, they can perhaps be seen, whether it's true or not, they can be seen to be just trying to fill a vacancy that they've got at the nursing home rather than, you know, acting in the person's best interest. But we can play that 
Aftercare can play that honest broker and, and very much be saying, well, this is how we would see it. This is how we would see most people as um, continuing to remain at home would be with this and this and this change. The decision is always yours, you know, the client. Um, it's always their decision to make. But without those things in place, it may mean, A, we have to withdraw or temporarily put on hold the the actual personnel that are going in to provide the sports because it's not safe for them. That might be an issue. Um, the other thing that might come up is is simply that we're saying that it's not going to be safe for the person. Now, they may choose to take that risk. Now, that's, that's where it gets very uh, complicated with people with dementia and that's something that families often overlook. Families often will go uh, quite reasonably and with the best of intentions, what we want is we want our parents to be safe. But they need to bear in mind that the person themselves, the older person, may say, but I've taken risks all my life. What matters to me is maintaining my lifestyle. And my dignity. And my and, dignity. And my own sense of self, which is Correct. my home. Correct. And and it's and in fact it's my choice to make. And this is one of the areas that things have evolved in quite a lot over the last five to ten years. Ten years ago, I can tell you, you know, there were very clear rules about whether someone was or wasn't mentally competent and you it was either you were competent or you weren't competent, end of story. And if you weren't competent, well, pretty much you didn't have any say in anything and it was quite awful sometimes. These days, there's a much more nuanced assessment of that where it may be determined that somebody is no longer competent to make um, major financial decisions about where they should invest their money or whether they should or shouldn't sell their home, but that they're actually quite capable of making financial decisions on a day-to-day basis about, you know, is that is that can of baked beans a, a good value for money price or is it a bad value for money price and managing their own budgets. So similarly, they can make decisions about about their preferred lifestyle. And, and also, given that preferred lifestyle, you at Aftercare Australasia as well can bring in a sort of nuanced degrees of care within the packages that you offer to make that stay as long and as comfortable Correct. as possible as well. And, and often it's a process of problem solving that unique set of problems for that person around going, okay, well, your participation in this activity is clearly really important to you. What we can see is there are a couple of specific aspects of that that make it particularly dangerous for you right now, which might, I don't know, say say, they, say they're going out to their shed to, to tinker around on some stuff that they've done for years and years and years, and it's a hobby of theirs. It brings a person great joy and pleasure. Uh, well, when it, we would never suggest, well, you just simply should no longer do that, but we might need to move the location of it so that perhaps it's indoors and they're not walking across the rough, uneven backyard ground or we might say we could do a modification to your home and put a path in or 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 perhaps you can get rid of the step that goes into the the shed or we prefer that you don't use the arc welder now well yes that you perhaps uh, limit some of your activities um but but overall you get a sense of participating and and continuing to derive those pleasures from those activities so often it's about really getting down to that and that's what I'd encourage families to do just going back to that safety issue so often you do see families having really serious arguments and debates with their um, family member over things that 
the really, if you boil it down, the family is more concerned about their own well-being <laughs> and, and a level of anxiety that perhaps that activity is provoking them than any really significant immediate danger to to the, the older person. You know, the older person might be slightly less steady on their feet and there might be a slightly increased risk of falls. But if as long as there's no history of them, you know, having catastrophic falls on a regular basis and the risks are relatively limited, then it might be quite reasonable for them to continue. So this is where Aftercare Australasia really does get involved in some very sensitive discussions and I guess um, basically some very uh, sensitive insights into family life and dynamics as well. Um, You were mentioning, just briefly to wrap it up, that uh, you've been hiring recently and your emphasis on staff and you Mm. certainly have to have your staff members tick a number of key performance indicators before they get on your books. I can imagine under these circumstances, this is where those sorts of thorough examinations of your staff are really tested. Well, I I think one of the key things that we're looking for with our staff is that they'll be quite cautious about weighing into those discussions before they sort of carefully get an overall picture. And often that involves managing things up to our office who then will follow things up in a more systematic way um, with family members and if needs be try and canvas a range of opinions or try and come out in person and meet with all of the parties involved. That said, often our carers have got some very practical insights through years of observation um, and experience where they, they might go, well, actually, as a matter of fact, this reminds me of somebody else that I worked with three years ago and their, their creative solution to that issue was x y and z and uh and in fact the family and sometimes even us at the office will go oh, i've never even heard of that what a, what a tremendous solution that is so it's about everybody working together at, at a whole range of levels as i said to just try and solve the problem find a solution Aftercare Australasia, um, Warren Haynes, thank you very much indeed for dropping by. And Warren uh, drops by every other week to have a bit of an attitude to us here on The Big Show on Thursday mornings. Warren, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. This is The Age Dates, Thursday morning, right here on RPPFM. When we come back, producer Cheryl Brody and a special report on bacteria, microbes, gut health, and our well being. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Age Stage program. I'm your reporter, Cheryl Brody. Today I'm speaking with Professor Lewis Viteta. Lewis is with the University of Sydney Medical School and Director of Medical Research at MedLab Clinical in Sydney. Welcome to the show, Professor Viteta. Hello, Cheryl. Hi. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. How's your morning been? Oh, rather good. Uh, I'm a little bit busy, but uh, it's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Things are moving forward. That's excellent. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Yes. Um, well, I've, um, I'm a graduate from the University of Melbourne and also Monash. Uh, I've uh, worked overseas in the United States and uh, in other parts. And when I came back to Australia, I was interested in doing research in a particular area of medicine, uh, which is associated with the gastrointestinal microbiome. And that's what I've uh, been doing for the last uh, 20 years or so. Oh, excellent. That would keep you really busy. So what, yes, um, what, what was it that inspired you to, to research into in medicine? Oh, I think that I had an interest in bacteria. Um, you know, bacteria are ubiquitous on this planet. You know, they're, uh, they're everywhere. They're 
they're in the they're in the salt water and the uh, freshwater streams. They're on, obviously, they're on the land and on plants. You know, you find them at the bottom of the Antarctic ice. You even find them in the hot water volcanic pools and places such as Yellowstone National Park. And they're in and on humans. And, and as such, uh, we are a superorganism that lives with bacteria. And I think that that's really what piqued my interest and to really find out that we were just not in the intestines, just uh, a collection of waste material and uh, pathogenic bacteria. But actually, uh, we were living in a symbiotic relationship with these bacteria that actually help us stay alive and healthy. Wow, you've, you've got a strong interest there in, in, um, in, in the detail. Um, I do, I do. That's excellent. So um, can you tell me a little bit about what you and your team at MedLab are working on at the, at the moment? Sure. Uh, okay, well, we've got a number of research projects that are uh, sort of siloed, I would say, but they're also interrelated. I think that where most of our evolution in our intestinal microbiome research is, it's associated with what's going on in the intestines with respect to depression, uh, the uh, the progression of type two diabetes, okay, as well as mm-hmm. chronic kidney disease. Right, they're, and, they're both um, extremely relevant areas. Yes, they are, and we've uh, just recently completed a clinical study on uh, the combined use of metformin, which is uh, uh, an anti-diabetic drug, with a probiotic formulation to test it versus metformin and a placebo early diagnosed up to diabetics and what we have found is that when we combine the probiotic the multi-strain probiotic with metformin they have a better outcome for early diagnosed up to diabetics than the metformin by itself and i think that that's a very exciting result because what we're seeing is improvement in gut physiology that's really excellent um where is yeah. it that people can find um, more information on on your research well, I think the best place to go is on MedLab Clinical, the MedLab Clinical website, uh, where you will see the clinical trials that we're running, that we've completed, type 2 diabetes, the depression clinical trial that at the moment is ongoing. Uh, that's a big trial uh, that's been carried out with some of my colleagues up in Queensland to better manage treatment-resistant depression, major depression. You know, these are patients that are taking... Uh, SSRI medications to manage their depression, but it's being it's inefficacious. So what we're trying to do is add a formulation that we think will recover uh, uh, an unhealthy gut microbiome to actually help the drug do a better job and improve their depressive symptoms. Okay, fantastic. Have you got a website as well for for that yeah, information? There's a, yeah, there's a website that you that uh, people can go and have a look at. Uh, like I said. You, if you do a Google search for MedLab Clinical, uh, MedLab Clinical is a biotech facility. Uh, it's listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. It operates a physical containment laboratory level two, uh, certified by the federal government. And that's where we do most of our, our, our research. And, and I think that if you do a Google search on those words, MedLab Clinical, you'll be able to go directly to that website and you'll be able to be able to see the kind of clinical trials that we do, including our work with uh, cannabis medicines for managing pain in, uh, in, in uh, advanced cancer patients. Oh, fantastic! Okay, that's really really good to hear. Um, so the MedLab Clinical 
um, yes. is the resource to, to search for people who want to know more information. Um, yes, and right. so that research comes out of Australia, is that right? All of it, absolutely. It's all, it's all Australian research, uh, all Australian ideas. We, uh, Med, at MedLab Clinical, we hold uh, about 35 patents on the work that we've been doing. Uh, and about a half a dozen of those are internationally granted uh, patents on the work that we do. So we have uh, we have uh, uh, formulations to improve gut function. We have novel delivery techniques uh, of spray medications in the inside of the cheek uh, for better access into the circulation, bypassing the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, so you know we we, we do a lot of uh, different things. Uh, as as biotech companies do that are listed on the stock exchange. Sure, that's fantastic. And it's really reassuring to hear that this is Australian-based research. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Please come back to the, the age stage again in the future and tell us, keep us informed as to your research and, and keep our listeners informed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. Pleasure. Look have forward, a fantastic... Look forward to updating you. Absolutely. Okay. Have a fantastic rest of your, your day, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you. All the best, Cheryl. This is The Age Stage, our weekly program that looks at issues and concerns of older Australians, proudly sponsored by our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. When we come back, the Bayes Hospital is hosting a free community forum with Commissioner for Senior Victorians, Jared Mansour. Hi. This is the Age Stage on RWPFM. Great to have your company this Thursday morning. We love getting out and about on the Age Stage, and from time to time we come and visit some of our friends and neighbours around the Greater Mornington Peninsula. Today we're at the Bayes Hospital, the Bayes Healthcare Group, of course, looking after our community. I'm here because they have a special event. The Bayes Healthcare Group will host a free community forum to exchange ideas on current ageing issues such as the ability to live a healthy, dignified and productive life, social engagement and empowerment. I have two wonderful guests with me, Eleanor Allen, who's the Chief Executive Officer, and Gail Tra, who's the General Manager of Aged Care. Eleanor, firstly to you, a special event, getting out into the community and letting everybody know that you are here and you have their very best interests at heart. Yes, uh, our Health and Wellbeing um, Forum is very important to us as an outward representation of how we support our community. And you have a special guest coming by to... We do. We do. We have uh, Mr Gerard Mansour, who's a Commissioner for Senior Victorians, coming to uh, speak to our attendees. And how many people are you expecting down here and what will be the subject of the talk? Um, we're expecting probably over 150, 150 to 250 uh, to attend the event. And um, the major focus of the event will be on uh, talking to the community about how um, to positively age and what it means to uh, maintain health. In, in Indeed, so that's probably where I can turn to Gail. And Gail, you have a, a profound interest in this particular area as well. Are we getting this age discussion as a community? I don't believe we are. I think that aged, aged care tends to be a discussion around how are we going, where are we going to place people and what are, how are we going to cope with them um, ageing. We don't see it as a positive experience at all. So we see it as a reactive experience? Exactly. So we should be preparing for it and I guess this is part of what you're doing here? Well, death is all is inevitable for all of us, and the ageing process, if we're lucky enough to experience that, is something that we should be looking forward to, and it should be 
seen from a positive perspective rather than a negative thing of dis the Disappearance Act, which, we, which Australians seem to uh, gauge it by. Eleanor, so is this then a strategy of the hospital to try and get on the front foot and be proactive in this particular space? Yes, absolutely it is. Um, both Gail and I are very, um, as is the board, uh, very passionate about positive ageing and um, looking at the care of our elders in our community as something that the Bay's Healthcare wants to promote. Um, we've been uh, over 82 years in the community and um, we want to continue that association. So it's part of your policy then? It's a part of your strategic plan to move forward? Absolutely it is, yes. And um, we're demonstrating that commitment um, in our Hastings home by redeveloping that home currently. We're actually currently in progress of rebuilding that home um, to provide a much higher standard of accommodation with a focus on wellness and re-enablement, not death. Well, I can imagine one person that will be keeping a pretty close eye on that is Gail, and Gail, you'd probably um, be, be watching this very closely, this initiative. Indeed. I'm in heavily involved in the building committee, um, and we're across all of, all of the aspects of, of building that site. So we've been very focused on ensuring that there's be a beautiful space in which to come. We've looked at putting... Um, delightful colours around in the, in the environment and we're looking to have intergenerational spaces. The use of colour, I see that the Dutch are pretty proactive in that area as well. They're using colour in terms of this particular space as well. I notice the architects are getting heavily involved in aged care and using colour as a way of being able to guide people through buildings and so on. Um, it's an interesting space. When is this facility going to be open? We're hoping to have... We don't call it a facility. We call it a home. So. When is your beautiful home <laughs> going to be open? Um, we're looking at the end of March next year, um, early April. So that will be when it's ready for people to come in. We'll have 16 new rooms available. Um, and that will be the time when people can actually have a, have an opportunity to to enter our home. We're often very full, and so that um, has inhibited entrance in the past. Eleanor, as the chief executive officer of the Bays, um, you would have to be looking at the bottom line, I guess, in terms of business policy and strategy. Um, is money a serious issue for you in terms of this facility, uh, this home, having to make money, or is this part of your more philanthropic aspect of your business? Uh, look, every business needs to remain uh, viable. Uh, we are a viable business, and um, we do have to take that into consideration as costs increase, the cost of people, the cost of utilities, but um, the Bays is in a very, very stable position at the moment with regards to its um, aged care business and uh, we're very confident about our ability to carry that on into the future. I guess we talk about the Bays difference and part of the Bays difference is the fact that the dollar is not what we focus on. We focus on the care of every single person that comes through the door. Uh, I've heard it described, aged care is the uh, approaching tidal wave. Uh, are you coming to the same conclusion? Yeah, yes, I guess we are. I mean, I think uh, if you look at the population statistics for Australia, we do have an ageing population. Um, and uh, if you talk about tidal wave, uh, it's not only a tidal wave of um, folk entering into aged care homes or into services for the aged, it's actually about workforce as well. Uh, the workforce that'll be required to support that group of people. So you provide something of a little bit of a difference at your home then, Gail, as we go forward? I believe we do. We've got a really strong re-enablement um, process and strategy in our home. We, have, uh, we often have 
people who come into our home who have been quite lonely and um, very sad about living at home. We've got that, you know, the Australian dream becomes a nightmare as you get older and you get trapped into your home. You live there alone. Um, families are busy looking after their own lives and they don't have the same capacity to visit. And and the result is that when people come into our home, they're malnour often malnourished and have been very worried about their life up until then. They can't manage their utilities. They can't manage to get to the shops. They can't manage to look after their outdoor spaces. When they come to us, we take all of that concern away from them, but we create a social environment. They start to re-engage with people of like, who are like-minded, um, who are, are often very active, and all of a sudden they put on a little bit of weight, they start having a purpose to life and getting out of their rooms, and a lot of the time we hear, after three months, we hear people saying, why didn't I do this five years ago? And that's because you know we have this nightmare of saying, I need to stay in my own home. We need to do something about changing that belief. Pathways into the future. Well, Eleanor, then, this um, uh, special chat that we've got coming up down here at the base, just remind us again, and how do we get involved? Um, our health and wellbeing program is actually free um, to the community to attend. Um, it uh, is an opportunity for the community to come and hear uh, Mr Gerard Mansour talk. Also Dr Vikram Bala, who's one of our um, physicians, talk about um, ageing and the dementia process. Um, it is by registration, so uh, you can register online or you can call the hospital if you feel more comfortable doing that and we can assist you to register. Well, Eleanor, thank you very much indeed. Eleanor Allen, CEO of The Bays, and Gail Tra, Manager of Aged Care at The Bays as well. Ladies, thank you very much indeed for your hospitality. And if you are living locally and you would like to get along to the free community forum uh, with the Commissioner for Senior Victorians, Gerard Mansour, well, uh, why don't you get along to the New Peninsula Community Centre. That's at 370 Craigie Road, Mount Martha, on September the 5th. We'll see you there. And that is just about it for this week's edition of The Age Stage. Before I go, may I thank our guests this week, Kevin McCoy, Deputy Head of Aged Care Workforce Council, Warren Haynes of Aftercare Australasia, and of course our producer, Cheryl Brady. Once again, don't forget uh, that um, Senior Victorians Commissioner, Jared Mansour, down here on the Monitor Peninsula, the new Peninsula Community Centre at 370 Craigie Road on September the 5th. I will definitely be getting along. Hope to see you there. And until next week, on behalf of us all here at the Age Stage, have a super couple of days.